0: hard to believe it's been almost 2 years since the attacks at the James Smith Crenation and the village of Weldon in Saskatchewan it killed 11 people and injured 17 and all during that time we've continued to try and learn about why it actually happened remember Miles Sanderson went into medical distress and died after being taken into custody and he's now the subject of what's called a psychological autopsy So what is this process all about? I mean, how do you retrace someone's potential motives in a situation like that? Well, Dr. Scott Terrio is an associate professor of psychiatry at Dalhousie University and joins us now to talk about that. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: No, thank you for having me.
0: So what is a psychological autopsy?
1: Well, a psychological autopsy is a process that was initially developed some years ago now back in the 50s but the the purpose is to try to build up an understanding of an individual who of course because of the nature of what's happened is no longer present so that's why it's called a psychological autopsy because you have a deceased person who's no longer able to answer questions about you know why did I do what I did why did I do what I did when I did it those sorts of things so uh, that's that's the, the basic purpose is to gain an understanding of that individual through sort of the process of the psychological autopsy.
0: Okay, so where do you start?
1: Well, ideally, you would start at the beginning, of course, which is easy enough to say. But, I mean, a part, of the, part of the process of a psychological autopsy is that you're, you're trying to build up a picture of this person as a human being. So you want to understand not only what are the acts that led to, to the interest in the psychological autopsy, Ultimately, you, but you want to understand how that person came to that place in their life. So that obviously would begin at the beginning. So you you need to understand as much as, you, as as one is able to everything about that person. So sort of what was their early life like? What were their developmental milestones like? You know, like when we walk, when we talk. Um, how did they do in school? What kind of temperament did they have as a child? And sort of you, you build on that picture. And because you don't have the individual air to give you that history themselves, you, you have to rely on other sources of information. So that can be family, that can be people that in the community that knew the individual, it could be um, historical records if there's any available of, of school or um, medical issues or the, the person's history over time. So you, you, you build up this complex picture of the person by using as many of those sources of information as, as possible to give you a, an understanding of, the mindset of the individual, I guess, is the best way to frame it.
0: Right. Are these becoming more common, Dr. Terry, or, like, or is this something that has always been done? Well, they've been done
1: now in a more formal sense, probably since the nineteen fifties. They were originally designed to start in a more a simple kind of way than the context in which we're discussing it here, which is to, uh, it, 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 it came to the front originally in trying to understand when there were ambiguous cases of death to try to determine whether that person had intentionally meant to kill themselves or it was an accidental death or or whether it was a suicide for example so they've they're, they're more complicated of course when the the deceased isn't the only person involved in the situation as is the case here which is uh, beyond tragic of course but it it's try to try to shed light on sort of what are some of the perhaps underlying themes that need to be explored to understand the situation at sort of the broader community level, I think.
0: Right. Okay. And so in a case like this, then, is this, when it comes to what happened two years ago in Saskatchewan, is this necessary for, do you think, the police process? Is it necessary for us to study this? Like, why would it be done?
1: Well, I think the value of doing something like this in a context like this would be to... Uh, we, 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 in psychiatry, we often think of what we call predisposing factors for somebody to engage in certain behaviors or to develop certain psychiatric illnesses. So, uh, and, and of course, in a case like this, we ultimately don't know why uh, what happened happened or why the in this tragic situation why, why the victims were were chosen at the time of they were and we may never know that in any uh, you know, complete and other detail. But what we can do is understand by looking at the person's history in the greater context of both their community and their life, what are some of the issues that might perhaps underlie this? Are there issues of systemic racism? Are there issues of poverty? Are there missed opportunities in life? Are there, is there a history of abuse? Are there problems with substances? I mean, all of those things are important not only to understand this particular individual, but more broadly to understand how those kind of uh, issues can impact on communities more broadly and how they uh, intersect with the uh, issues of potential violence.
0: So is this something that is studied do you think any or we should perhaps be studying this every time we have one of these I know I know there was talk about this as well after what happened in Nova Scotia in 2020 with the mass shooting there it's necessary isn't it Dr. Terrio, to try to get some answers.
1: Yeah, I think it's helpful to sort of get answers, and probably even more important, help get directions to find more answers, because, of course, unfortunately, with these kind of events, there's often more questions than there are answers. I I think that one of the things that people do need, however, to be mindful of is that uh, they're not, you you can't really use it as a preventative tool, if you know what I mean. So you, you can't say, well, we can understand this individual in this situation enough so that we can predict when this kind of thing will happen again somewhere else with someone else because the, uh, the the ability to sort of do that at such a fine grain level is really simply not there. So you're right. you running into all sorts of issues about sort of, well, any number of people could meet a similar kind of profile, so it doesn't, doesn't work at that level of detail.
0: No. Well, so you're looking, we're not looking for patterns or things like that. Are we looking for triggers so we can understand them better?
1: Yeah, you're looking for you're looking for sort of some, what are some of the predisposing factors that led to this behavior, and you're looking to what I generally would call the precipitating factors. What what were the events that occurred just prior to the event in question to maybe act as a trigger for this particular episode, set in the broader context of that whole person's life, right? So, and that that might provide information about how we both change things. Upstream, if you think of it that way, and then closer to to the source of the actual sort of event itself.
0: Right. It's really more like, I guess, a personality study, or it's not. It's not a criminal investigation. I think that's what sometimes people think it is a criminal investigation. That's not what this is.
1: No, no, it's it's a separate from a criminal investigation. I mean, uh, the police are interested in what happened and how it happened, but uh, it's really psychology and psychiatry that are interested in why it happened, when it happened, in the person that it happened to, right? So that that's more a function right. of sort of understanding the person in in both their individual life and in their broader life and where
0: they were living. Is this a growing area of research, would you say? Is there more demand for this kind of information?
1: It's hard to say. I mean, I've been involved in one case, as you know. I mean, it's, uh, fortunately, these kind of uh, events are... Relatively rare, which is a blessing in Canada. I mean, I suspect that it's um, sadly more frequent in in the United States, but I don't have statistical data on how often that's done.
0: Right. So this is—it's an interesting process, though, to to do this. How long would it generally take? Well, it varies depending on
1: a number of factors. So, ideally, you want collateral information, and the more, the better. So. It's a matter of uh, seeking out collateral information, so that includes family, friends, perhaps neighbors, that sort of thing. So, to some degree, it de- it depends on the individual involved and what that those relationships were like. Uh, in part, because as well, if you're talking to these individuals, you have to be both mindful of that they've had their own trauma related to this. And- uh, yeah. you know, careful in managing with uh, those issues as well. So, And then, like I've said, you've got collateral information. So in some cases you have voluminous uh, files, especially if the person has a mental health or addictions history. And sometimes you, you don't, right? So sometimes you have, for example, the loner who really doesn't have many relations, doesn't have a lot of history uh, with the uh, police or other services because they've just sort of uh, led that kind of lonely existence. So the the length depends on sort of all that that material and how long that takes to sort of pull all that together into a synopsis, really.
0: Mm -hmm. So interesting. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're welcome. That's Dr. Scott Terrio, who's an associate professor of psychiatry at Dalhousie University. We're talking about the issue of psychological autopsies that are sometimes done to figure out the why something happened. For instance, in this case, it's a psychological autopsy that is being done into what happened two years ago, at the attacks on James Smith Cree Nation and the village of Weldon in Saskatchewan. Eleven people were killed, 17 injured. And you may remember Miles Sanderson went into medical distress and died after being taken into custody police believe he was the attacker but this is part of the process to figure out what happened how did that unfold and why did it unfold the way that it did there's still so many questions about that